Okay, good morning. Good morning, church. Uh, thank you. Uh, I am David. I'm one of the elders here. Brian's away this week, so you've got me instead. Um, so let's pray before we start. I just want to pray again. Lord, please come. Please help. Please help me not to cough, cough and, and splatter my way through this, and please help uh, by talking to us, by speaking to us. I've got a lot that I'm going to say here this morning, so Lord, please take the things that you want to speak into people's hearts where you bed them in, and anything that's not of you, just let it be forgotten. Lord, come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yeah, welcome. Uh, quick show of hands, if you're here for pre-service prayer this morning, if you joined me. Yeah, quite a few. I counted around about 40. Um, shout out to Kirsten. I think it was her first time at pre-service prayer. Yeah. Um, I just want to let you all know that you're all very welcome to come to pre-service prayer. We meet for about an hour before uh, each service. We, we come, we pray for this church, for the service that's going to happen. We pray for the city. We listen to God. And that's for all of us. That's for anyone to come along to. It's a really great time that we have together. Generally, one of us elders leads it. It was shaken this morning. And we follow a fairly set pattern, starting welcoming the Holy Spirit amongst us, uh, going into some repentance as we approach God. And then we spend a few minutes singing and praising. We want to always come before God. We want to approach God with praise. And uh, there's a lot to praise God for, right? We generally, in pre-service prayer, we just give it a couple of minutes because, you know, we want to get on to other things. We want to be praying for other stuff. So we kind of switch it around, ways that we praise God. Uh, sometimes we specifically praise God by remembering things that he's done, whether that's in the Bible or in our own lives. Sometimes we just praise God simply with thankfulness for what he's done for us. Uh, or my personal favorite, generally, is praising God for who he is. Uh, it's, it's really simple. Um, it's my favorite because I think, uh, I just love thinking about who God is and who his, what his character is like. Because at the start of praying, it puts me in this position of awe and amazement that this great God that I'm coming towards, uh, he's the God who I'm about to ask things of. And he's actually going to hear me and actually going to listen kind of puts me in that humble position and lifts God on high. Um, the way that I often do this is I just run through names of God. And by names of God, I don't mean uh, like the titles that we maybe use like God or Father or Jesus or Messiah. Those, those are great. I mean throughout the Bible, there's these moments where God reveals a part of his character uh, to his people or to individuals. And in that moment, he's given a new name, a new name which reveals who God is. So I use those names, those names of God to praise him with. For example, uh, some of you will know this story. Abraham is up on top of his mountain with his son Isaac. And God has just tested Abraham. It's a pretty, pretty dramatic story. Uh, God's just tested Abraham to see if he really trusts him by asking Abraham to sacrifice his son on top of this mountain. 
Now, Abraham is just getting to know the character of God. He doesn't have the Bible like we do to follow, so he doesn't know that this is totally out of line with the character of God, but he's being obedient. And just at the very last moment when he's about to sacrifice his son, the angel of the Lord intervenes, holds back his hand, and stops him. And once all of the drama has subsided a little bit, um, Abraham looks around. He sees a ram caught in the bushes next to them, and uh, he sacrifices that ram to God instead of his son. And in that moment, Abraham learns something new about God, and he gives God a new name, Jehovah Jireh, God will provide. It's a fresh declaration of who God is. For Abraham in that moment, he's like, whoa, this God who I'm getting to know, who I'm following, he is the God who provides. I've been praying that uh, Jehovah Jireh, praising God with that, as we've been thinking particularly about the Southside Church, right? And everything that we're going into with Raise Hope, God is the God who provides. That's a That's an exciting thing to remember, even when we're facing these tough challenges. Or in Exodus 15, there's another one. Um, The people of Israel, they're wandering through the desert, and it's a desert, right? They're gasping for some water. They've run out. And God does this miracle through Moses in that moment where he turns this poisonous pool of disgusting water into pure water for them all to drink, and they're all saved. And uh, in that moment, God actually himself gives himself a new name. He declares a new name over himself rather than Moses or someone else giving it to God. He says, I am Jehovah Rapha. I am the God who heals. When names like this are given to God in the Bible, they're a powerful image of who God is. These names are super significant because God really is them. I think in the English translation sometimes we can read it as descriptions or labels about God, but actually these are deep, fundamental things about who God is. Um, It may sound a wee bit pretentious for me to be saying Jehovah Rapha and things like that. I should clarify, I'm not a Hebrew scholar whatsoever. I have no idea about this original language stuff. I know that Brian does actually know a lot of these things, and he makes a point of not saying them in services because he doesn't like to sound too fancy, but uh, I don't mind sounding fancy in front of you guys, so I'm going to say a few of these phrases. But I love these original words because they remind me that, uh, like, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah uh, Jireh, this is, these are things that, who, that, that God really fundamentally is. They're not just labels or descriptions. And I think in the English, we can kind of read it just as a label sometimes, but it's deeper than that. So anyway, that was all just a bit of preamble to take us up to a name of God that I want to really explore with you guys today. And it's a slightly more abstract one, slightly more figurative one, so it's going to take a bit more delving into than uh, God is our healer or God is our provider. So let's find out what it is and what God's revealing of himself through it. Um, If you've got a Bible, turn to Exodus 17. Words will be up on the screens as well, so no worries. We're going to be reading from verse 8. Okay, so the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men to go out and fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. 
But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady until sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under the heaven. Moses built an altar there and called it, the Lord is my banner. He said, because his hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Okay, did you catch the name of God that we're given there. It's there in verse 15. Moses calls the altar that he makes, the Lord is my banner. He gives God this fresh name in the context of what God has just revealed himself to be. The Lord is my banner. It's Jehovah Nissi. When I'm saying Jehovah here, by the way, I'm just, it's another way of saying Yahweh, the Lord, the, the one God. So Jehovah Nissi. It's more meaningful than a simple description. It reveals something about who God fundamentally is. Who God fundamentally is, is our banner. But that's a bit of a weird one, right? It's not as simple as the others. So I've been trying to dig into this a little bit and think about it, and I've got three things, three themes I'd like to unpack and share with you today. Uh, so we'll try and get through them. We've got uh, Jehovah Nissi. God is my banner. It means identity. It means unity for us, and it means strength. Okay, we're ready to dive in. Let's go for unity. No, sorry, identity. We're going to start with identity. Let's have a wee think about the context of the passage, right? We're, we're given a battle image. That's what's going on here. Joshua is leading an army out against the Amalekites. I want you to just build a picture for yourself for a second of, of a big old battle. Um, two armies approaching each other from either side of a big plain. Um, thousands of men ready to fight on each side. Um, and I don't know about you, but I find it super easy to picture this sort of scene because of all of the films and TV that we've got depicting this. Just think of Game of Thrones or Braveheart or Lord of the Rings, whatever floats your boat. I don't know, but um, you've got these two armies facing off. And I don't know what you're picturing right now, but for me, they're not just anonymous groups of people. They're not standing there on either side of the plane, staring across, scratching their heads, wondering who those other guys are. There'll be something that immediately identifies them, right? Picture these armies. And chances are they're immediately given away by big fluttering banners carried above them. Either that or their crests or their armor or colors or something. They have an identity, right, that can be seen from far away. Armies, the, the, this picture that we're being given in the Bible, it's this military image. When we're saying God is our banner, when he's revealing himself to be that, it's in the context of this war, of this battle. It's a military image we're being given. We're supposed to be thinking about an army holding its banners high as it goes out to war. Armies would carry along these big banners, their colors, their crests, some sort of identifier showing who they are. And they can be seen from miles away. 
You know, instead of them coming over the hill and everyone scratching their heads, people know exactly who's coming at them. So a banner, fundamentally, is a, is a symbol of identity. Everyone under that banner is defined as something by it. They're defined as belonging to it. We live in a city and a society, a culture here in Glasgow, where there's a lot of symbols of identity, some which are really obvious, some that are more subtle. Um, maybe not so much here in Partick, but in some neighborhoods here in Glasgow, it's as simple as whether you're wearing blue or green when you're out in the street. That's your fundamental identity, right? And how you dress is probably an identifier of some sort, whether you like it or not. People are going to look at you, they're going to place you for what you're wearing, um, where you've come from, how you present yourself, the way that you talk, all sorts of things. Now, I don't want to dive into all of these different avenues now. There's so many ways that we identify ourselves, that we kind of show our allegiance to different things. But the point I want to make is that God is a banner, God is our banner, and so our primary identity is in Him. And actually, that should be a visible identity. That should be a literal identity. The identity that we get with God isn't a banner. It's not a flag that we carry around with us. Um, It's not a color or a symbol that we have to wear. I don't know. Does anyone here still wear one of those WWJD bracelets? Anyone? No, they're a bit dated now, right? I used to have one. That was kind of a physical symbol of being under God, but... um, We don't really have that, and that's not what God is asking for. It's not about our race or our nation. The way that we uphold God as our banner is simply the way that we live it out, um, how we live under God. Um, And when we really do that, when we really live out our lives under God, that is as obvious, as literal, as holding a big banner over our heads. Um, we've just gone through like Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, all of that chat in our Bible read-through. Uh, fun times, I know. Um, in Leviticus, though, it's been really interesting. The Israelites get all of these laws for how to live as a wandering people through the desert. And in the next book, Deuteronomy, it kind of relates uh, a lot of those laws again. It re- reiterates them. Um, but they're more specifically angled at how the Israelites are to live now that they're going into the promised land, now that they're going to be sassling down. If you've read those two books side by side, you maybe see it repeating itself quite a bit and you're wondering what's going on, but that's the context. These two sets of laws, they're not at odds with each other. They don't cancel each other out at all. Deuteronomy does literally mean second law, but they're kind of a continuation of each other for a slightly different context for the Israelites that of them going into an occupied land and defining themselves as distinct amongst these new nations, amongst these different people that they're going to come in contact with. So they've been wandering in the desert, right, for 40 years, um, kind of alone for the most part. Uh, They've had a few battles along the way, but they've been kind of alone. And now suddenly they're going into this really populated area with loads of other tribes and people and nations, really established ones with their own gods, their own traditions, their own societies and ways of living. And so these laws that are set out in Deuteronomy, when we read them, they're telling us loads about how to, leave, how to lead uh, holy lives. They're telling us loads about the heart and character of God. But they're also there 
just for Israel to look distinct and different in this new land, in this new region. Things like how they treat the poor, widows, foreigners, what they do with money and wealth, um, how they make sacrifices to God. All of those instructions were there for them so that every single part of their lives would be totally countercultural to all of the other people around them, uh, to all of the other nations in the promised land, so that everything that they did, all of their pra- practices, would have to point to the fact that they had God as their banner, that they were under this distinct, unique God. Their entire identity was going to be in that. So Jehovah Nissi, God is our banner. It means that living as Christians, it should mean that our identity is affected. It should mean that every part of our lives points to the fact that we're under God. Um, there's, there's so many ways that I could take this and apply it. It's basically just living the Christian life out in every aspect. Uh, so we don't have time for all of that just now. But I want to land on a few that I've been thinking about in particular just to ground this practically for you. don't want to leave it hanging there as a concept. Um, so I've got three things that I'll quickly share that I've been thinking about wrestling with. How can I identify as being under God in this society, in this city? And there are things that are so countercultural and so off God that I really think they'll set us apart. So number one, this is an easy one, an obvious one. Well, it's not easy, actually. Uh, but loving the unlikely and the lo- unlovable. It's probably one that you'll jump to quite quickly, but it is so hard, isn't it? We should be a people set apart from the rest of our classmates, our neighbors, our colleagues, our city, our culture, by the lengths that we go to, to come alongside the poor, the lonely, the broken around us and to love them. Idea number two, this is something that I've been wrestling with for a little while, and I'm still not totally sure about it, so bear with me. If you have thoughts, feel free to to share them after the service. Uh, Giving up competition. It occurred to me a few months ago as I was doing my Bible read-through, is there competition in the kingdom of heaven? Like as I'm thinking about my career, uh, how I do business, how I lead my life, is there competition in the kingdom of heaven? Our, our entire society, the paradigm that we build society off is totally ingrained in competition, like the way our government works, the way our careers work, all of it um, relies on this idea of competition. And I'm just not sure I see it in the kingdom of heaven. So intrinsic to this idea of competition is that in order for me to win, whether it's the promotion, uh, the contracts, or the girl, um, someone else has to lose, right? But the kingdom of God doesn't seem like a zero-sum game in that way. Building, uh, improving, uh, progressing, moving forward in God's kingdom doesn't have to be at anyone else's expense. I see plenty of striving in the Bible. Uh, There's language about sharpening each other, about running the race with perseverance. Um, But what if we were a people who didn't engage in the world's way of competition, of beating others? What if doing your best at work didn't mean fighting off someone else for that promotion? What if studying your hardest at uni meant not paying any attention to class rankings? 
What if going to the gym didn't mean comparing yourself to everyone else there who you saw? It's so wildly countercultural. I think it could very visibly set us apart and point to the fact that our identity is in God if we were just humble enough and secure enough to give up on some competitions. Third idea, perhaps the most simple and the most practical of the three, being outrageously generous. I can tell you for sure that um, people uh, who you work with, uh, your family maybe even, this society, this culture will think that you're nuts for giving stuff away. It's just not the way that we do things in this day and age, is it? Except perhaps a, a really measured way of giving a little bit to charity every so often, doing your civic duty, that's kind of respected and expected to an extent, but beyond that, it's just unnecessary, right? Um, the last company I worked for had a charity fund, a charitable fund, and they had a charity committee. And I won't tell you this little anecdote to do them down at all, because I loved that company. I loved their heart. I loved working there. Um, but they decided that they would set aside some of their profits for this charitable fund, and the committee would decide where to go. And they decided as a company the amount that would be generous and that would be reasonable for them to give was 0.7% of their profits. 0.7% was the amount that they thought was going to be generous in this city, in this society. And that year, Anna and I personally gave to charity and to church more than that fairly large and successful company. I don't tell you that at all to big ourselves up or to do them down. But being outrageously generous is a way to be distinct under the banner of God, to show that our identity is in him. It's maybe a really practical one to be thinking about as we're talking about raise hope, as we're talking about what we're able to give can really set us apart. Okay, so those are my three quick things to land that first idea of identity. Let's move on. Uh, the second theme I'd like to explore is unity. And we had a great sermon from Sonia last week. Thank you, Sonia. So I'm not going to go into so much detail here because she's already covered a lot. Um, but Jehovah Nissi, God is my banner. That means unity for us. Let's bring back that military image we had at the start, that battleground image. Just visualize that again. A banner is high, right? It identifies people as we've covered. It's also a rally point. What you're picturing isn't some banner bearer over in one corner of the field and the rest of the army scattered out in the other corners. The army is gathered in tight underneath that banner. A banner is a great unifier, right? The soldiers, perhaps in these armies, they've maybe never spent much time together. They've been conscripted to war. Maybe they don't know each other. They're from different families, different backgrounds, different ideas, different political views maybe. But under that banner, they're completely unified under one cause. So unity is really quite closely linked to uh, this idea of identity, really. Like, people with a common identity are going to more naturally have unity. That just kind of follows. It kind of makes sense. The interesting thing about church unity, as I was thinking about it this week, is that it brings people together who might not naturally come together from different backgrounds, classes, cultures, and more. I love that uh, 
I look around Rehope sometimes these days. I look out across you guys now. And man, you guys are a weird bunch of people. And I mean that in the best possible way. Like, you guys are a weird bunch. In what other context would you all be together? Would you be chatting? Would you be sharing so much? Um, seven years ago when I started coming to Rehope, it wasn't actually totally like this. Um, most people in here were students, kind of a lot like me at that point, looks like me, talks like me. We're all at the same kind of age and stage, and I love that as we've been here for longer, we've become more diverse. Uh, but there's still unity in that diversity. We have a long way to go, don't get me wrong. I would love to see this church diversify and grow more in that. God is a banner that we draw together under. He unifies us, and that is odd, right? It's unusual. It sets us apart in a city that tells us in so many subtle ways, just stick with your own people. You know, that, that's the safe place. Um, that's who you want to be with. If we can be known as a church that has great unity in all of its diversity, that's only going to point straight back to God, who's big enough to pull us back together. I thought it was so great that Sonia was speaking on unity last week, because it's something that, as elders, we've been praying about, thinking about a lot as we prepare to move to the south side, uh, this new location, and move out across the city, potentially setting up more locations in the future. And uh, as I was reading the passage of Exodus and thinking about this, praying about this, that God is our banner, it really encouraged me um, and reinforced this idea that I've been praying about that I don't want us to be moving out across the city under the banner of re-hope. It would be very easy for it to be seen like that. Moving to the south side under the banner of free hope, you know, we've got our branding, we've got our style, we've got the way that we like to do church. We're bringing free hope to the south side. No, we're, we're going out under Jehovah Nissi. God is our banner. God is our banner. He is our primary identity. He unifies us. We're going out to these different locations under God as our banner. It's not about our name. It's about his name. So a quick couple of thoughts to, to practically ground this idea, kind of like we did for the unity part. Um, let's celebrate our differences. Is that up there? Yeah, let's, let's move across the aisle in church. Let's chat to each other. Um, we are different. There's people in our church who aren't quite like us. Um, I kind of standing up here I have to admit to you guys, I'm really rubbish at this. I kind of toe the line between introvert and extrovert, and so most Sundays, I will avoid you. <laughs> I'm really sorry for that. Uh, I have my friends here, I have my people, and I'm much more comfortable chatting to them. And I know that Shagan and Russell and, and Brian, the other elders here, they're much better at moving around the room and introducing themselves to you, and so I have to apologize for that. Um, I'm going to try and be better at that. I'm going to try and be better at moving around, getting to know you guys. But let's do that together. We're a family here. We're not our little groups that we're safe in. We're, we're one unified family. And so related to that, thought number two is let's celebrate what we have in common, which is so much greater than any of our differences. Okay, let's move on to our third theme. Jehovah Nissi, God is our banner. 
let's, let's talk about strength. Let's come back to, to that military image, that battle image again. Let's keep drawing back to the context that this was said in, the context that it was declared about God. It's in the midst of war, right? It's in the midst of a battle. There's fighting, there's fear, there's trepidation, there's very real peril, like people are dying here. And a banner is there to give encouragement and to give strength to the soldiers as they're fighting. The identity, the unity that we've already talked about, that we've already covered, they come together to give the soldiers the resolve, the the strength that they need to keep fighting. Under a banner, you're no longer a a weak individual. Uh, You're no longer a nervous, alone person. You're part of a body. You're part of a strong and courageous unit. So with God as our banner, we're given strength. Strength because God is strong, right? Strength to fight harder, to endure longer to prevail and to beat whatever we're facing. The more visible we make God in our community and in our church, the more strengthened we will be. The higher we lift him up, like in our our worship here today, the higher we lift him up amongst ourselves in the way that we live our lives, the stronger our church will be. I want us to notice as well that um, although some of these ideas of God being our banner are quite abstract, quite figurative, metaphorical. In this passage, we've got a very literal example of strength uh, happening. Um, Notice in the passage that there's this community aspect. Moses isn't alone on that mountaintop. Moses is holding up his hands above the battle, symbolic of God being his banner. Uh, But it's tough work, right? And Moses is well old by this point. Like when he started leading the Israelites out into the wilderness, he was 80. So we know that he's definitely older than that at this point. And it's a desert. I've been to that Sinai desert and it's tough to do anything there. So it probably felt like a good idea for the first five minutes holding his hands up. But man alive, it must have gone hard. But in, in that moment, at that point, his pals were there to step in. Aaron and her, they end up holding his hands up on either side until the battle was won. Very literally, in a practical way, Moses wasn't strong enough to do it by himself. But with God as his strength and with his two pals in community together, they were strong enough. So under God as a banner, we've got the strength and support from God, God Almighty, who is strong. But we've also got the strength that comes from community, that unity that we've just talked about, from supporting each other. Uh, As I mentioned, I'm one of the elders here at church. And so obviously, we've spent a lot of time discussing and praying and seeking God in these big moves that we're making out to the south side location, potentially on the north and what we think God has in the future for us as we hope moving this church out across the city. And uh, as we've been praying about that and thinking about that, we recognize that this is big and it's unsettling. And I know that I've been feeling that and maybe a lot of you have been feeling it as well. Maybe already with friends moving away or knowing that some of your pals are gonna be prioritizing a different location in the future 
or ministry roles changing, things kind of being mixed up, it's unsettling, and it's going to be tough. And I want to, like, as one of the elders, just say we, we know that, and we're praying for you in that, and we care for you in that, and we want to, to help lead you through that. We're stretching thin our leaders, our ministries, uh, our money, so that we can make these different locations work and so that we can uh, glorify God in the way that we think he's leading us to. But as well as praying for all of you guys in these tough moments, it feels like um, a bit of a Moses on the mountaintop moment is going to be going on for some of the staff and for the leaders here in particular. Um, I'm thinking very specifically of Brian along with Kelly. I'm thinking specifically of Ruth as she heads out to be the lead pastor of the new Southside location. It's a lot to deal with. There's a lot of pressures that they're going to be facing. There's a lot of battles that they're going to have to uh, lead us out into and, and face. And they're the ones leading us forward as a church. And it, they're the ones holding up God as a banner as we move forward into these new things. And their arms are going to be aching in that. Probably very quickly, if they aren't already. Like, their arms are going to be tired. So it's just something to think about. Like, that's our remit as elders, to be Aaron and her on either side of Brian, on either side of Ruth, next to the staff and the leaders of this church, holding them up, supporting them in these tough moments. But perhaps as we look forward into this new season, that's something we can be thinking about together. What could your role be in that as well? Jehovah Nissi, God is our banner. It means having identity, having unity, and having strength. Okay, I want to just gather together all of those thoughts into three distinct challenges for, for this week. I've kind of covered these challenges as we've been going along, but I'll just reiterate, let's try and crystallize them now to finish. Number one, pick a way of demonstrating your identity in God this week, which could only be attributable to someone who has God as their banner. Could it be showing kindness to someone unlikely? Could it be giving up on a competition? Some context where you're just trying to beat someone else and maybe you don't have to. Or could it be choosing to be outrageously generous to someone else, maybe to this church with Ray's Hope? Just as we're thinking about those things, yeah, maybe practically this week that's the most simple response you could have. We're, we're, we're calling out, we're calling out that we need help with Ray's Hope. Maybe this is the week that you land on that, that you think about that and you decide what can I give in this new season? Challenge two, uh, one for me as much as any for you. Um, and we can do that right here after this service, so it's a good one to get out of the way. Talk to someone different in church. We're a big, diverse family here, but we're unified by God. And challenge number three, is there a way that you can support this church, or specifically its leaders, as we move forward? so that we're strengthened in tough moments.